Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Not a smart thing, amen? Um, I wanna put Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, he asked. And he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Chapter should close, right? But how many know we talk too much? All right, we have a problem with just keeping on talking. And so this lawyer, he says, desiring to justify himself. None of us have ever done that, right? Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive. May it come alive in our spirit and change us and transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of years ago, Marie and I were out shopping over at the town center. Uh, Marie shopping a little bit more than me, um, if you understand what I'm saying. I was just holding the bags. Um, while Marie was shopping, and to her credit, she, I will take her shopping and she does not buy a lot. So I'm a very blessed person. Like nine times out of 10, she won't buy anything for herself when we go out out shopping, but while we were out, I took our oldest son to um, the playground out there at the town center, and I was just amazed at how many different cultures were all around um, there at the the town center. So much culture, and I'm honestly just amazed at how quickly Jacksonville is diversifying. I was talking to one of the Brazilian families in the church, and they said before the pandemic, there were about 10,000 Brazilians in Jacksonville, and in three years, over 20,000 Brazilians in Jacksonville today, right? We were flying in on a plane recently and the minority of the plane, it felt like we're English speakers flying into Jacksonville, which is not a transit city, it's a destination city. And so just so much diversity that is happening here in Jacksonville. I, I love it, honestly. And so I got Judah, he's over at the playground having a blast. And at the time, he's in this whole PJ mask phase. It's this little good guys, bad guys, heroes and villains cartoon, and so um, he called them good guys and bad guys, and every, um, all the time, Judah loved to point out the good guys and bad guys, so um, in books that he would be reading, or we would be reading to him, um, on TV, or even at the playground we were at. He loved to point out good guys and bad guys, so we're at this this playground, and Judah notices a woman um, that brings her child up and she's uh, in, in a burqa from head to toe, full blacked out um, burqa or hijab, and just the little isolate um, that was there. And so uh, Judah goes up to the lady and goes, Daddy, is this a bad guy? And I'm like, oh, my Lord, oh, my Lord. Like, whose kid is this? And so I just kind of quietly and ashamedly ignore him which for some kids is good and it works okay, but not for my kid. And so Judah's looking at her and he's like, daddy, daddy, is this a bad guy? And then he goes from daddy is this to daddy, look, there's a bad guy. 
And so I'm just like, kid, shut up. Like I'm trying to find something to go and hide under and cringe um, and just walk away. And he, he just got louder. And so I'm starting to cringe, just wondering like, what in the world is going on? And, and Judah, he had been at the time to 15 or 16 nations with us and, and missions. He was free to travel up to a certain age, so he was like the carry-on. We just took him wherever um, with us. And so he had been in full Muslim context, Buddhist context. He'd been all over um, the world, Asia, South America, Europe, I mean, the Middle East, and all over, um, but didn't realize what he was saying or doing. Didn't change my love for him. Didn't change him being mine or his identity, but what it showed me was he needed a greater understanding. We had been working at it for several years trying to help provide Judah and lead him towards having a heart for his neighbor, but honestly for some Christians, after 45 years of being in faith, their heart for the harvest needs a lot of growth because it's, it's easy to be cut off by the bad guy look, whatever that looks like, right? It's easy to be cut off by the, the facade and we must constantly remind ourselves that God does not look on outer appearance, but Scripture says he searches the hearts of mankind. And when he sees the heart of this person, he sees a heart that is lost, a heart that is hurting, and a heart without him. And he has compassion. The husband of this woman comes over to me, and thankfully the first words out of his mouth where I love watching them play together like neighbors. And I'm like, good thing he just did not hear what he was saying. And so we start chatting and talking about life and where they're from. They were from deep in the heart of the Middle East and we're here in Jacksonville on, on a business trip. And we just start talking about how beautiful it was for kids of all these different backgrounds, people groups, religions, obviously, um, to just play together, right? not deterred by ethnicity, not deterred by their difference, not deterred by religion, but just playing and enjoying life together. But there was one word that he said that struck a chord in my spirit. He said, like neighbors, like neighbors. Brought me to this passage today. Who is my neighbor? At the beginning of the parable, you have a lawyer He's trying to test Jesus, and you ask him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Like the lawyer is actually assuming that he in his own power can do something about that. So he asks him, what can he do? And when Jesus is about to answer this question, it makes me want to lean in, because the lawyer is not just asking any person, any body, any teacher, any religious leader. He's asking Jesus, the Son of God, the, the, the rose of Sharon, right? The, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's asking Jesus, the bright morning star, what must I do to inherit life? That means we all should be like, all right, let's lean in. Let's listen to what he has to say. And Jesus says, well, what's written? How do you read it? And the lawyer said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not a complicated conversation. He's asked, how do I inherit life? And Jesus just points him back to the word of God, right? He asks him, what's the word of God say? And he says, Love God, love people. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Listen to the word of God, obey the word of God, and you will live. But how many of you know for some people the word of God just is not sufficient, right? We gotta have commentary. 
We can't just take it at face value. We gotta know how it benefits our lives. Well, church, let me tell you how obedience to the word of God, it benefits us. If we obey the word of God, we inherit the promise of this word and we live. If we disobey the word of God, we die and we inherit a different promise of God's word. Like we are going to inherit promises either way, but what promise are you going to inherit based upon how you are going to obey? So verse 29 says, the law you're trying to justify himself says, who is my neighbor? I think we've all been here trying to justify our lives to the Lord. This lawyer, he's thinking, what I've already done is sufficient, right? He's trying to explain to Jesus, like, what I've already done is good. And church, we need to be careful when we try to start explaining ourselves to God. Right? When we try to explain the word of God to God, right? We, we don't need to get into that place of justification. We just need to realize we are already justified, so we don't have to try to justify ourselves. Right? We are justified by the blood of Jesus. So the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And for most Jews, their neighbor represented those that were like them, their fellow Jews. Those that were of uh, same color, same background, the same religious belief, same political persuasion, right? That was the neighbor, not people with whom we have major ideological differences, right? Not the Gentiles and definitely not the Samaritan. So Jesus, knowing this, he shares this parable, the parable of the good Samaritan. Verse 30, if you'll read it with me on the screen. Not out loud, I'll read it. Um, just follow on. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, so too passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. In this parable, there are five groups of people. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write these five groups down. I'm gonna talk through these five groups today. Number one, a Jewish man going down from Jericho. Script doesn't say he's a Jewish man, but we can assume going from Jerusalem to Jericho to priestly cities, he is most likely a Jew. Number two, second group of people, you have a group of robbers. Number three, you have the priest. Number four, you have the Levites. Number five, the Samaritan. And I wanna parallel these five groups to different people alive today. First, we'll start with the man going to Jericho. He represents the lost, the hurting, and the broken. This man, he was robbed, he was beat up, and he was left for dead. Sounds a lot like the spiritual state of much of our 
world. According to Google in 2020, there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. And if what Jesus said is true, only five of 10 virgins make it to heaven, it gives us only half of that number, 1.15 billion Christians in the world, leaving approximately 85% of our world who are unsaved. 42% of our world having no knowledge of Christ at all. God's creation, which has been robbed, beaten, broken, and left for dead. They're everywhere. They're at work with us. Next door in the apartment complex, beside you in science or history, working out on the row machine in your gym, and on the opposite side of the globe. God's creation, broken, beat up, left for dead. And God's heart is that they be saved. Amen? The second group of people, the robbers and thieves, represents the enemy of our soul. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the devil, he's doing a pretty good job at his job, right? When we look around the world, he's doing a pretty good job at his world. He's seeking to devour every soul around our world. He's fighting hard and he's fighting diligently. And I wonder if we, the church, have the same intensity for souls that he has. I wonder if we, the church, has the same intensity for souls that he has because the spiritual battle that we face is a very real battle. Ephesians tell us we do not wrestle against flesh or against blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. Church, we must know and understand that people are not our enemy. They are God's harvest. And we do have a clear and present enemy who is after to destroy the people who's got, who God's heart goes out to, right? An enemy that is trying to destroy the very ones that Christ has died for. And the enemy has blinded them. And he's taken many of these unreached and congregated them into hostile areas of our world and convinced us not to go. He surrounded us with comfort and ease, which means going poses a risk to our security and to our pleasure. Church, the enemy is smart, but he's beatable. The enemy is smart, but he's beatable, and only beatable by those who are brave and fearless. Revelation 12, 11 says, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Amen? For they did not love their lives so as to shrink back from death. He is able to be conquered. He is able to be conquered by the blood, the spotless blood of Christ Jesus, by the word of our testimony. But church, there's a caveat. We cannot shrink back as the church from those who Jesus Christ died for. We cannot shrink back. We must go. We must press forward towards the mark of the high calling. Amen. We must have heaven's burden and heaven's heart for souls that he has. Beatable by those who, like Paul, were willing to be poured out like a drink offering. By those who are more concerned with eternity than with the fleeting pleasures of this world. Church, we can win this battle for today's generation. But it will take us working hard and being uncomfortable 
for this. Verse 31 says, the next group of people, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest represents the spiritual leaders, right? The high priest was the priest over Israel. They set the tone. They set the temperature, which it feels a little warm in here. Um, and set the climate. I see a lot of people fanning. I'm fanning too. But the priests, they, they were the spiritual leader and they set the temperature for society. And Jesus says, by chance. When Jesus says, by chance, Jesus is being very pointed in this statement because it really wasn't by chance, right? He was speaking directly towards the climate of the religious leadership in that day. And Jesus said, this religious leader, he saw the hurting man. He saw him, like his eyes beheld him. He looked at the man who was dead and, or about dead and dying. Looked at the one who was hurting, looked at the one who was broken. And in fact, because he saw him, he went to the other side of the road. It wasn't that the priest was ignorant to the need. He just didn't care enough to do something about it. Right? Maybe the priest was preoccupied on his way to another meeting, conference. Maybe danger was still lurking in the shadows. It was still present in the area. Maybe he just felt it was beneath him and that it was a very frequented path and somebody else would come along and take care of the need. Whatever the case, the religious leader passed right on by. Jesus wouldn't have, though. Because Jesus spent his time engaging those we typically would avoid. God, give us a spiritual, a heart. Give our leaders a heart of compassion for the lost once again. Give churches a passion for the lost once again. Give churches a passion to go to the ends of the earth, to mobilize, to use resource, to use strategy, the God-given resource that we have, to go to the ends of the earth to reach souls for Jesus. Give us a heart of compassion, not a heart of pity that just feels poorly for people, but a heart of compassion that is willing to get into the midst of the muck with people where they are. Give our spiritual leaders a heart for the unreached and may the tormenting fires of hell ignite a flame within our lives to reach the lost for him. So the priest, he passes on by. Verse 32 says, so likewise... Next group of people, a Levite, number four, came, he also passed by. The Levites represent the religious community in our world. The Levites were a chosen bloodline, much like we as Christians are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. The Levite in this story represents the nominal Christian or nominal religious person. And what was his response? He too passed on the other side. His response was the same as the priest because people, will always follow the example of their leaders. So when the nominal Christian sees their leader avoiding those who they were supposed to engage, they often fall right in suit. And while our spiritual leaders, church, this is for all Christians and all people, our spiritual leaders should be a good example. Scripture says above reproach. I do know because of Scripture, our spiritual leaders are not our ultimate example. It doesn't say to look to Pastor Gary, to Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, as the author and perfecter of our faith, but Hebrews is clear that we are to look to Jesus, the 
founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus gives us the clearest picture of what our behavior should be. Jesus gives us the clearest picture of what our heart should look like. Jesus gives us the clearest picture of what compassion should look like within our lives. So even if everyone else in the world is going sideways and they give us a messed up, a jacked up picture, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He will lead us in the right way. He will cause us to engage those who everyone else is avoiding. He will help us to have a heart of compassion for those who are broken and dying. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The last group, a Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Samaritan represents the true Christ follower. The one who has a heart for the hurting, regardless of background, he or she has compassion. Regardless of background, he or she has love. Living on mission, not distracted. And the unique thing in this story is Samaritans, they were socially rejected. Commentary said they lived in open hostility with the Jews. That there have been hundreds of years of bad blood between these two people groups. And the Samaritans, they were the minority and the outcast. And not just necessarily the outcast, but the reject. Right? The one who came and said, no, nah, we don't want you here. The reject of, of society, the one that when you would see them, you would walk on the other side of the street. The one that you would have negative stereotypes about. The reject, the outcast. But it was this reject. It was this outcast that when he saw a Jew, one who should be his enemy, this Samaritan had compassion. How do we have compassion on those who should be our enemies? Realize that the Bible says we first were enemies of the cross. And he brought us in. Realize that we once were alienated, living in open hostility to the cross of Christ Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on us. We can have compassion on those we deem our enemies because he, when we were once enemies, alienated away from him, he brought us in and had compassion on our lives. Jesus, when he looked upon the crowds that were hurting and broken, he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Church, may our hearts break with compassion for those who are lost, for those who are unreached. The Samaritan went to him. He went to him because the gospel propels us towards two realities. Either we go and give ourselves, or we have a very, very, very good reason why we do not go. And then we live in a sacrificial manner, such a sacrificial manner that we send those who are going. For the Samaritan, there was an effort in the going. He didn't wait for the hurting and the broken to come to his church. He didn't wait for the broken and the hurting to come to his synagogue. 
He didn't wait for the hurting and the broken to come to his house, to come to his workplace, to come to his gym. He saw and he went. He saw and he went. He saw people in need and it demanded that he go in that direction. He set aside his agenda because this hurting and broken soul was more important than his agenda. He stopped where he was going, stopped what he was doing, because this man was in need. What agenda, what agenda do we have that is more important than souls, right? If souls is his heart, and we have his heart, it should be ours. If souls are his priority, and we have his priority, they should be our priority as well. Meaning we go, we set aside, we engage. Are we willing to lay aside our agenda for those who are far from Christ? Verse 34 says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him into an inn and took care of him. He bound his wounds and pours oil and wine on them. Wounds are, I could never be in medical care. Um, I don't do blood and bodily fluids and Oh, all of that. Lord bless you. I'll pray for you. And I'll try to find some oil and wine. <laughs> but he goes to him. Wounds that are obviously deep. He's dying from the wounds, so they're bad wounds. Wounds that can get infected. And he takes the oil and the wine and he begins to pour on him. The oil and wine act as an antiseptic, begin to cleanse the wounds. He takes bandage and gauze and begins to wrap it around, covering, taking time to help heal this wounded person. This man that's laying on the ground could have had one or two realities pretty easily. Sees a Samaritan coming who's the enemy Right? And think, well, man, this guy's coming to finish me off. Like, hurting people, they hurt people. And, and it could have easily been a dangerous situation, but he comes, despite of the risk, the danger, and he pours oil, wine on wounds to help bring healing. Oil and wine weren't cheap. Oil and wine represented his income, most likely. And the fact that he was carrying oil and wine with him on his animal meant he was probably going to sell it in a market, which meant he was on a business trip in which he laid aside his agenda, an important one, one that his family would live off of, his family income, his family means. He takes those and begins to pour out his very best profit-making items, and he pours it on the hurting pours it on the broken. Are we willing to take our very best profit-making items and to pour on those who are hurting, to pour on those who are broken so that the unreached can become the reached? 
he takes the man in verse 34 and he puts him on the beast, meaning he first dismounted himself. This is humility at its finest. He made his own seat uncomfortable. Kind of like Jesus in Philippians 2.5 says, have this mind among yourselves, meaning us as believers, we are to have this mindset, which is yours in Christ, who though that he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he empties himself and takes on the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, made himself of nothing, laid aside the high seat of heaven to come to a people for which he was going to pay the ultimate price to rescue them and bring them in. Church, are we willing to give up our seat for the broken? Are we willing to give up our seat? Are we willing to humble ourselves and the, the things that we've worked hard for and diligently for? Are we willing to give them up for the unreached around our world? Because our earthly ambition is not worth another's eternal damnation, right? Are we willing to lay it all on the line as this Samaritan did? Brought him to the end. Paid the bill, two months worth of, of salary. And represents a place of refuge and safety. The name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous can run in and be safe. When we bring the name of the Lord to those who are lost and hurting, we provide an eternal refuge. See, I love it, this Samaritan, he took responsibility. Church, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. He took responsibility and in so doing, he proved to be the neighbor. Worship team, if you would come back. Jesus looks at the lawyer. The lawyer should have stopped. He didn't have to go through all this, right? But he looks at the lawyer and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go, do likewise. If you would stand with me. Jesus always did a great job changing the narrative. The story starts out with, who is my neighbor? Jesus changes the narrative to what kind of neighbor are you? The lawyer says, Jesus, who's worthy of my love? Jesus changes it to, how can I be a person? whose compassion disregards status. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Who's worthy for me to love on? Who's worthy for me to grace, show grace upon and to love and to engage? He says, uh-uh. What kind of neighbor will you be to those who are not like you, those who are hurting? Will you be the person you disregard the facade the bad guy look, the ideologies that you don't agree with, whether it's religious, societal, political, will you look past those things to the heart that is in need, the heart that is in need of saving? Will you disregard status because you have the compassion of the kingdom? So I'm convinced that the Samaritan was able to do this because he recognized his position. 
the lowly one. Jesus said, it's those who are forgiven much that love much. And I'm convinced that if we would recognize our position, it would demand that we sacrificially give of ourselves. That we would live in such a way where we don't pass the hurting and the broken by. That if we would recognize our position, the tasks that we've been called to, understand the heart of heaven, the compassion that heaven has, we would be able to see the greatest harvest the world has ever known. Because that's what the kingdom would demand of us. Church, I want eternal life. And Jesus told us how we get it. Love God, have mercy on those who don't deserve it. Have mercy on our neighbor. It's time for us to show mercy. It's time for us to show mercy in action. When we see a need to meet it, to let our heart go out towards it, to rescue those that are perishing, those that are dying, those that are broken, to forgive the inexcusable in others because God forgave the inexcusable in us. Whether that's an ex, whether that's a coworker that's wronged you, whether it's a neighbor that constantly parks in your grass, <laughs> show mercy. Show mercy that will change our world. Maybe you're here today and you need the mercy of God. You're far from Him. His mercies are new every morning is what Scripture says. Ready to flow into your life. Everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. If that's you in need of mercy today, we should just slip that hand up and we want to pray for you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, thank you for mercy. I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sins. Be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you to love those who are around me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, we gotta pray. It's one thing that God calls us to. What's the call to action? Love our neighbors. Show mercy to those who are undeserving. You know who it is in your life. You know who it is in your life that you need to show mercy to. I know who it is in my life. We all know, right? But also, we need to pray for the lost, pray for the harvest. It's what Jesus told us to do. It's, it's a responsibility he gave us to go. We listed out trips here locally, abroad, then to give. Everyone should have a pledge card. And I want you to take that pledge card today. If you haven't filled it out, drop it on one of these baskets down front and let's give sacrificially so that we can see the greatest harvest of souls we've ever seen in the course of the world, amen? What I want you to do is I want you to grab your belongings and I want you to come down to the front I want us to pray for our world. I want us to intercede for our world because it's God's heart that not any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so grab those belongings. I want us to come down as a church and we're gonna join hands today in solidarity. And we are gonna stand in the gap 
We're going to stand in the gap for our world, a world that is hurting, a world that is broken, a world that is lost. And we have the opportunity day in and day out to be the good Samaritan that God calls us to be. I pray this stirs you because it stirs me. It stirs me. There's times where we need to dive into these veins and have our spirits stirred. Amen. And this is one of those times where we realize that there is a credible harvest around our world. And if we don't have our spirits stirred, then we might get complacent. And I don't want to stand before a father complacent. Amen. I want to do my due diligence to stir, to stir it up and see what God will do in us and through us. So come on down to the front. I want you to just join hands today. And I want us to begin praying. Pray for the people in your life that need your mercy. Pray for the people that are around you, maybe on the job, people that are at work, people in school. Begin just to pray and intercede for their lives. Pray for the unreached around our world. Just begin lifting them up to the Father because His heart is that they not perish, but they have eternal life. Father, we come before You. And God, we stand in the gap today. We stand in the gap for our world that all may know you. God, may we not stop. May we not give up. May we not grow complacent. May we not grow weary in our well-doing. But Father, may we be driven by eternity. May we be driven by eternity so that all may know you. God, we know your heart. We know your desire. We know your longing. And may we walk faithful towards the call. God, to those who are immediately around us, or God, the people who are living in the unreached areas of our world. Father, I pray that we would be sacrificial. God, we'd be engaging in our living and in our walk so that we can see heaven populated and hell depopulated. In Jesus' name. God, bless our hands. Bless our feet. God, may, may we walk, God, with feet who bring good news. Your word says, how beautiful are the feet. God, may we have beautiful feet as we bring those glad tidings of great joy, which the angel said shall be unto all people. God, may we bring that good news to the world that is around us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want us to take a moment. We're going to pray for those who need healing in their lives today. And so if our prayer team and uh, altar workers, if you would, if y'all would give a little bit of space so they can get in. Um, and if you need healing in your body, I want you to just come stand right here in this area, um, right here. And we're going to come and lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. It's what the scripture says it calls us to do. Call for the elders of the sick so that they can lay hands on the sick so that they may, or they shall, not may, that they shall recover. And so we're going to pray the prayer of faith today. If you need healing in your body, just come stand right here, right in this area. And we're going to pray the word of faith over you today. We're also going to lay hands and anoint pastor today as well. And I'm going to read the Aaronic blessing and close out in just a moment. So hang with us, but um, come on down here, get in this area. And if you need healing in your body, just slip up your hands, slip up your hands so that we can speak life. We can speak health. We can speak wholeness over you and we get everybody. Come on in if you need healing close and we're just going to speak healing. Give myself 
our deacons, if y'all would come over here, let's surround pastor. Uh, if you're praying still, that's fine. But any of our other deacons, let's come over here and pastors, let's lay hands and just speak the word of faith over pastor today. Come on, church family, let's stretch our hands out. God, we come before you and we thank you that you are our healer. Your word is true. Your word is truth. It is our very life. It is our very breath. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And we know what your word says, O Lord, that it is your will that we are healed. And we declare health, life, and wholeness in this body. Body be strengthened by the power of the blood of Jesus. Every stripe that was laid on your back, Lord Jesus, it already purchased. It's not something that needs to be done again, but it did 2,000 years ago because He Himself bore our sorrows, bore our sickness. And God, we release, we declare health and wholeness in this body today that every part of this body will line up with the perfection and the will of God that it would be created to operate as it should operate any trace of disease or cancer you must go in Jesus name you have no place you have no right you are not welcome here thy kingdom come Thy will be done in this body and in this life as it is in heaven. And we thank you where your kingdom is. Sickness can't be. Sickness can't stay. God, those things can't be present. We release life. We release health. We release wholeness and restoration today. Be strengthened and be made new. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church. Let's give God thanks and praise this morning. Sickness can't stay. Your perfect love is casting out fear. He is God. You are the God of all power. It's the will of the Father. It's the will that my life is healed. Sickness can't stay. Sickness can't stay any longer. Your perfect hands up if you're still praying that's fine the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to Aaron and his son saying thus you shall bless the people of God you shall say to them the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so shall they put my name upon the people of God and I will bless them don't forget website for global teams Josh Carter tonight. We'll close out in prayer and then worship team lead us through one more time. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that you would give us the heart of compassion for this world around us. Bless us to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.